You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Spotlight on eWomen, the place for everything eWomen Network. Entrepreneur, enterprising, enlightening, and exciting. Please welcome your eWoman host, Phyllis Smith. Hi, and welcome to Spotlight on eWomen Network. I'm Phyllis Smith. So alcoholism is a nasty disease. It takes hold of you and robs you of any common sense and often thrust you into a path of destruction. There are many rehab programs out there. One that is most common is Alcoholics Anonymous or AA. And that is a 12-step program. And their basic principle is that you surrender to God and that you are then rendered powerless to the disease. Well, my guest today is a generational alcoholic who went through the traditional route of AA, and she was told that she was on a pink cloud and one day she'll come crashing down. Well, that didn't sit right with her, and, uh, and she decided to uh, she was going to hop on that big pink cloud and trailblaze her own program called HOPE. And that stands for having other possibilities to explore. Her name is Teresa Rodden. She is the author of Holy Sober, How I Stopped Thinking About Drinking and Started Loving My Life. She joins us now to help us understand what it's like to be an alcoholic, why these traditional 12-step programs don't work, and what her HOPE program is doing now to save those suffering from this type of addiction. So welcome, welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to share this message. Well, we're happy to have you. We really are. And, and I, love, I can't wait to dive into what you're doing because it, it's such a, a new, a different way of thinking. And, and um, so we're, we're, I'm glad to, to learn more about it. But first of all, you had an early experience, I mean, really early experience at the age of five and this with alcohol. Tell us about that. Well, it was uh, Christmas Eve. The stereo was going. We were listening to the the fabulous Christmas music. Lights were twinkling, and my stepfather um, had been broken up with my mother. He came over with a bottle of booze and said, "Hey, let's play a game. The kids can open a gift if they drink this mixed drink." Which I had no idea what it was at the time, but I wanted to open the gift, so I agreed to the terms and <laughs> drank my rum and coke. Come to find out, so. Um, Oh Woke up the next day with my first hangover. Oh my yeah. gosh! At five years old. At just five years old, yes. And your mother was there. My mother was there. She didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol either, and she she probably was drunk. I have no idea what her situation was at the time. So, other than she was there. So while the alcohol is killing the brain cells that are forming in your head, <laughs> in your brain, um, so I imagine that after that, when, when did it start to pick up where you were doing a lot of drinking um, on your own? It was this in, like most kids as an adolescent? It really, it's, you know, I was against alcohol for the longest time up through until I reached 12 years old. When I had my first, uh, I was plied with alcohol by a neighbor. He was a much older man and um, as it turns out, perverted, but he gave me alcohol. But what I realized is that when I drank this alcohol, that I didn't feel anything anymore. And so 
um, just to back up a little bit, I had a very traumatic childhood, as you can imagine, if I got drunk at five years old. But I was also um, a victim of childhood molestation and physical abuse and mental and verbal abuse by our stepfather. So when I was introduced to alcohol at 12 years old, it felt really good to be able to shut it all off. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, wow. So you're, so the alcohol is shutting you down, but it's also a disease in that they found that it's also genetic. So you have the double whammy of the experiential and trying to block out and those, those horrible experiences through alcohol, but it's also genetic. So, well, that's true and false. There, there, there can be a genetic put, uh, predisposition that you will misuse alcohol, but it's not concrete. And there is no actual gene that says you are going to be an alcoholic. And I want to back up even a little bit more because I don't identify as an alcoholic. And if you read Holy Sober, I've also released my mother and my grandmothers from that um, identity as well, because what I have found through all my, my personal experience and through working with women over the last several years is that it's kind of more of a drunk cycle, that there's a, there's a feedback loop in our brains and that we get stuck in making poor decisions that cause us tremendous pain that we then turn to alcohol and want to numb that pain. And then it becomes, it just picks up in volume and velocity as you go on, as time goes on. But what's interesting is that every one of the women in my family, including myself, have abstained from alcohol and we have absolutely zero struggle. Mm. None. And my mother stopped drinking just 10 years ago and she had absolutely no intervention. Whereas I dove deep into outpatient and then Alcoholics Anonymous in the first year. And then I decided this is, if I want to stay sober, I got to check out something else. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to get into more of that as well, because you also say that women and men drink differently and that just, just because, and you're saying here, just because you're, you drink a lot or excessive drinker doesn't mean you're an alcoholic. There is a, a distinction, distinction as, as you're saying, how when did you know you had a problem with alcoholism? And that's an excellent question because I knew years before I um, actually stopped drinking that I wanted to change my relationship with alcohol, but there was no other option out there. You either identify as an alcoholic and you go the traditional path of Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps back in, back in the 90s, or you try to figure it out on your own and without any type of personal development or any kind of support. And there isn't really no support out there unless you do identify as an alcoholic. You're kind of stuck. Mm. And, and so you, when you go in and you identify, hi, I'm, you know, I'm Teresa and I'm an alcoholic and you're sort of making this declaration. That's part of the, you know, be rendering yourself powerless Yes. Um, and just giving into it. And I am what I am, what I am. And one day it's going to happen again. And, you know, I just have to keep coming to meetings so that it doesn't happen again. Is that kind of like that, the premise? Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 and I can speak to it so succinctly is that what I was told is that you will always have this monster inside of you who is doing push-ups, who is getting stronger, no matter how long you abstain from alcohol. 
it's always in you waiting for a weak moment so it can take you down. And I literally felt like I was on the edge of a cliff and just waiting for a wind gust to come through and Mm. knock me off. It's a ticking time bomb. I couldn't live that way. I couldn't live the rest of my life identifying that my core sense of self was broken and had a disease that was incurable and and waiting for an opportunity to take me out. It just wasn't going to work for me. So, so then that's obviously a huge challenge um, to, to go with the norm, but the norm doesn't seem like, it, it just almost seems like it just makes you um, just, the, the giving into it is, it, it almost, it, it requires you to continue in the program. <laughs> You know? It does. Oh, it absolutely says that you'll be going to meetings for the rest of your life. And, and do you think is- that that's why? I mean, what is the reasoning behind that? Is to remind you that you have a disease and that you're out of control, that you are powerless. Mm. That's the point of the meetings is that, that you have this community. And I do want to say, and I want to state and say this very clearly, it does work for some people. It just doesn't work for everybody. I don't operate with that kind of a mindset, but there are some people that do need to be reminded that they are in trouble if they drink again, that that, that, that could cost them everything. So it, it, is, it is an effective program for some people. It's just not for everybody. And for the longest time, since 1935, it's been the only answer. Wow. It's amazing, isn't that? Yeah. 1935. And, you know, everything you see, even on TV shows, you know, you're always seeing somebody's an alcoholic and somebody's in a meeting and, you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, I think it can help. I, it, maybe it's the community, you mm-hmm. know, having people that I can identify with what you're going through. Right. Um, but it, it keeps you sick. It sounds to me kind of keeps you sick. Well, the interesting thing is, is that it's the gold standard. It's the go-to program. It's the one that's court-ordered. It's the one that the hospitals re- rely on and therapists and counselors. However, it's got less than a 10% success rate. Mm. But it's been the only option out there for so many years. So when you, what was your aha when you decided, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not I don't want to be an alcoholic. I want to be sober. What, what was that moment like for you? Well, interestingly enough that when I decided to get sober, I was ready for sober. And, and that was just it. I don't think that, I don't think that the AA had much to do with it, but I did dive into it and I did the meetings and I did the service work and I led meetings and I sponsored people. And, and so I was in it hook, line and sinker, but, Something had happened, and you can read about it in Holy Sober to go into further detail, but there was a rift between my sponsor and myself, and she was one of the popular gals in our community, and that caused a rift with everybody else. So I found myself without a home. I found myself without a community, and my husband and I moved down the road a bit, and we tried finding another AA meeting, and it just nothing fit. I was driving down the street and I thought, what if I just stopped thinking about drinking or not drinking? What if I just focused my energy on going after life instead of (laughs) that I'm sick and have this disease? And what if I just don't make it a focus of my time and energy anymore? And that was that. And that was 14, over 14 years ago. And I've been sober for 15. 
what it, it's like what figure out what's right with you and not what's wrong with you it's, right. like, it's like having cancer and and you just say i am the cancer and when wow, that's, say, yeah. right and i am the cancer and therefore that's who i am and then why fight it why fight the why fight the sickness because that's who I am and that's what I identify with. You know, I imagine it, it's also, you know, similar for people who have, you know, a really um, um, have eating disorder. You know, they become the eating disorder or victims in general. It's almost like you decided not to be a victim anymore. And the, what you're describing about AA meetings is that you are a victim and you stay a victim. And when you are a victim, then you are powerless. And then you give it over, in that case, to a higher power. Um, but, you know, when you're, if you're a victim of being a molestation, uh, you know, any kind of sexual assault, if you become the victim and you identify with that, then you don't want to get over it. You don't want to get past it because you don't know who else you are. Well, if I'm spending all of my time and my energy and I'm, and I'm saying I am a child, a victim of childhood molestation. I am a victim of domestic abuse. I am. Where's there room for the amazing things about me? And that's where I decided I wanted to spend my time and energy was developing who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live the rest of my life. Alcohol had already had 20 years. I wasn't giving it another 20. I was done. Mm. Yeah, it's like kicking the, you know, you know, there are some people who kick the cigarette habit and they just do it. And then others, you know, they have a really hard time with it. They just decide. And it's so interesting when you can just decide and then you realize, why, did you ever think what a waste of those 20 years it's been because you were so easy, able to just turn around and say, I don't want to do this anymore? Um, I can't say... That, that's a funny, it's a funny question because I wouldn't give a one minute of those 20 years back because it's developed the woman that I am today. And I have such compassion and love and desire to help other women break free from the need to misuse alcohol that I don't think I could be who I was today without those experiences. Mm. So we have to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to take a, a, you know, a, more of a dive. We're going to learn more about your program, your hope program, and what you're doing now to help others overcome their alcoholism uh, in a different way. So stay tuned. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to Spotlight on eWomen. Here's your host, Phyllis Smith. And welcome back to Spotlight on eWomen Network. I'm Phyllis Smith. I'm speaking with the beautiful Teresa Rodden. And she, uh, we've been talking about how she has overcome alcoholism, 20 years of alcoholism, and just got done with the rehab program of the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and realized that was just not for her. Uh, she didn't want to surrender to the disease and, and, and be a victim uh, to it. And so she started her own 
I mean, that's what we do. That's what, that's what you do when you don't like what someone else is doing or the way, you know, the status quo is, you have to change the status quo. And so she did. So she started this program called HOPE. And uh, and hope stands for. Tell us what hope stands for, Teresa. Well, hope isn't actually a program. It's the meth. It's really kind of the message of my business, and that's having other possibilities to explore. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that you need to do abstinence or mindful moderation. I think it's your choice. You are empowered by choice. So there's really not a one size fits all. It's based on the individual. So there's. There, I have several different program offerings. But it's really about getting to the heart of the woman and helping her to determine who she is and who she wants to become. And why specifically women? I, I think this is a really interesting is, is you say that women drink differently than men. They do. They do. Women, how many times have you ever met a man or heard of a man that goes home and has a nightly cocktail and then he goes to bed, he wakes up, he goes to work and does it? Most women will progress. We will progress along the continuum. And that's another thing is that that continuum is not even considered in our culture. There is a lot of space between social drinking and alcoholic drinking, a huge opportunity to intercept the problem before it progresses down to the, to the, to the alcoholic realm. So women typically progress. And the problem is, is that there's not been a lot of studies done on women and alcohol. It's always been around men. So, so when, at what point do we say we've got a problem that we are an alcoholic? How do we make that distinction? I love that you asked that. I just did a video on this, a, a quick one minute video. But you have a problem when you have decided that it's getting in the way of you living your life. You don't have to be drinking out of a bottle. You don't have to have a DUI. You don't have to be missing work. You don't have to be doing something that's against the law. You have a problem with alcohol when it's starting to interrupt the, the growth of who you are. So when someone, you, you say that 98% of the people who drink excessively are not actually alcoholics. So when we say that like so the distinction i drink excessively and i'm an alcoholic do what what do we still do we still have to step back and and say you know it's too much you, you know like when do we know it's excessive is is this the same concept of being an alcoholic and, and what you're saying is if it if it interferes with your life well, if you go online and you say, do I have a drinking problem? You're going to have five, no less than five treatment centers are going to pop up with ads and they're going to say, take my test and we'll tell you if you need treatment. And I'll tell you, you can probably be the most normal drinker, normal by normal standards, that by society standards, you're going to need treatment. Please give us your insurance information and we'll move forward. If you don't, then just go to your local AA meeting. What Now, if you go to the governing agencies online, you'll see that if you drink anything more than five ounces of wine each night of the week, then you're, if you drink more than that, then you're in the risk of developing alcohol abuse disorder. If you drink less than that, don't worry about it. You're perfectly fine. I say it really has very little to do with how much you're drinking as it has, how is it affecting your life? because there's a lot of people who drink and they drink excessively that are not alcoholics. However, they make 
poor choices when they're drinking too much and that causes pain and now they're stuck in the drunk cycle. Now they start drinking more because they have more pain and while, when they drink more, they make more poor choices and then it causes more pain. And do you see how that picks up in volume and velocity? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So when you start recognizing that I'm sluggish, I'm not getting as much done, I haven't done anything to promote growth within myself over the last couple of years, I find myself drinking a little bit. It's, we all have that inner dialogue. Am I drinking too much? That's a good time when you might want to reach out to somebody and say, let's explore this for a little bit. Yeah. Can you say to them, do you think I'm drinking too much? <laughs> Someone who really cares about you? Right. So if, if somebody asks me, do you think I'm drinking too much? I'm going to come back to them and say, well, what do you think? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if someone does, somebody who's listening or watching right now um, feels that maybe they're drinking too much, too much. I mean, I, I think to myself, would that person be someone who say comes home and cannot have a meal without a, a drink? I, I, I know somebody, actually a friend of mine who, you know, we go to get our nails done. And when we go to get our nails done, they offer, they have alcoholic beverages there. And uh, if it's at 11 o'clock in the morning, she's going to have a drink. If it's mm -hmm. offered, she's having a drink. And mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, at that time of the morning, I'm not interested, you know, um, I, because it affects me in that way. I, I, you know, I have, I'm a, I'm a lightweight. And so, um, would, you know, if, would that be an indication that you sort of can't go a day without it or uh, would that be an indication or no? An indication is how are you using it? If she's, if she's celebrating, if that's a ritual where you guys go get your nails done and she gets to have a glass of wine when she's having her nails done and that's part of her ritual of getting her nails done, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Now, if she stops on her way home and gets a fifth of vodka and downs it before <laughs> she pulls into her driveway, I might have a, you know, I might have mm -hmm. a conversation with her. Again, it comes down to why are you drinking? How yeah. are you drinking? And how is it affecting your life? That's so much more important than how much are you drinking. I, I love that. I really do because you're absolutely right. And we tend to drink socially, you know, we, yeah. uh, and, and, and it has, it's fun. Now I know for me, for example, if I have more, I'm such a lightweight that if I have more than one glass of wine, I know I'm going to get a little loopy. I just know mm -hmm. it. Um, and so it's kind of the purpose is maybe I feel like getting a little loopy. Are you saying that that's my choice and I have the right to make that choice? It, it doesn't mean that I'm going to do it the next day or like you say, stop off and get a fifth of vodka on my way home. That's right. I don't, I have absolutely no judgment. There's a lot of women that I work with that I, I, I invite them to explore mindful moderation and maybe wade into, you know, abstinence for a time being. And then maybe you'll see how amazing, because there is no more powerful position that you can have, no more powerful state of being than to be sober, to be absolutely clear-headed. There's no more powerful position. So I invite women to, if you want to wade into it, let's wade into it. Let's see what happens. Let's see how beautiful life can be without getting drunk. It's being sober is a beautiful thing and you do have clarity and you really get to see everything in front of you and, and feel. 
And that's the hard part for people that's who are afraid part. to feel. And so what do you say to others who maybe have had a similar experience growing up like you, you know, who, who might have been molested or, uh, you know, raped or, or have been a victimized in some way, domestic abuse? What do you say to them when you say so being sober is beautiful and they're, they're you know, scared to death and say, I can't, mm. I can't feel, I don't, I don't even want to be thinking about what I went through. I can't speak for them, but what I can, I can speak for myself and I've been there and that that is the past. It happened to me then. It's no longer part of who I am today. I have broken free. I have freedom to feel now. So here's the downside. When you cut off feeling the bad, you're also cutting off feeling the good. And I get to feel the good, mm -hmm. even though I have to go through the bad. You say that Pink Cloud Coaching, that's, uh, that's, your, your, that's your company, right? That's how people can find you, pinkcloudcoaching.com? Yes. Your number one tip is what? My number one tip is you don't have to be an alcoholic to want to change your relationship with alcohol. All you have to do is get clear about what it is that you want. Do I want to live life clear-headed or do I want to live life chasing a drink? And you also say this, it takes time not to beat yourself up and say it's going to happen tomorrow. In your cases seem to happen immediately, but that's not necessarily what happens for most people. But what we need to do is not move that off the table. It can happen. You absolutely can. Today, you could make the decision, I am not going to drink again, and it could happen for you. However, you brought up a really good point. The tip. The tip is it's going to take time. It's going to take intention. What is your intention? Going back to what is it that you really want? So have something that you're moving towards, and then it's going to take practice. You have to practice it. It's become a neural pathway for you to turn to alcohol to treat your pain or to, to numb the pain. And so it's going to take practice for you to come with, to develop more uh, natural coping skills. So time, intention, and practice. You know, the brain, all the brain wants to do is survive. And when you, this is why it's so hard for people of, who've experienced trauma to overcome the trauma because the brain is saying, uh-oh, that was a bad thing. We need to do something to protect ourselves. And that might be drinking alcohol, taking drugs, whatever that, you know, whatever it might be so that you don't have to experience that. So that's the hard part is that the brain wants is, you know, wants nothing more than to, for you to survive. But what I love what you're saying is that survival is in finding, is in the clarity and finding mm -hmm. the, the peace and the joy and the everything beautiful out there. Um, that is a different type of survival and that you have to train your brain. And that's why this, when you talk about practicing, that's why that's so important. You have to train your brain. You do have to train it. And actually, Mark Lewis is a, a neuroscientist and he wrote a book called The Desire of Biology. And he is an ex-addict himself. And he actually pushes back on the theory that alcohol is a, is a disease. And with all of his education in the brain world, he has he has convinced me, although I already felt this was true, 
but he has shown that it is just a habit. It is just a habit. And with practice, you can change that habit. Beautiful. Teresa Rodden, thank you so much. I'm so excited for what you're doing. Again, how can people reach out to you? Come to pinkcloudcoaching.com. If you're interested in having a chat, exploring sobriety, again, sobriety doesn't necessarily mean abstinence. It could be mindful moderation or even abstinence for a time being. It's a free consultation and we can just chat. It's not, there's no pressure, non-threatening, and it's just about where you want to go in life. And your first book, because you're working on a second, Holy Sober, How I Stopped Thinking About Drinking and Started Loving My Life. And you can too. So I'm sure you can get that easily on Amazon. On Um, Amazon. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, Teresa, thank you so much. I so appreciate what you're doing and changing the thinking. To be a pioneer, to to step out of the box when something isn't working for you and you step out of the box and say, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. I make, I am going to be the change. That, that is so empowering. And that's Mm -hmm. really the best way to make change is don't rely on other people. You make it. So you're the, you've done it and you're helping others do it as well. So thank you so much for what you do. Thank you. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network.